Chapter One, Part Four of Books Fatal to Their Authors. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Margaret S. Bayat. Books Fatal to Their Authors by Peter H. Ditchfield. Chapter One, Part Four. The name of Sebastian Edzart is not so well known. He was educated at Württemberg and when Frederick I of Prussia conceived the desire of uniting the various reformed bodies with the Lutherans, he published a work, De Causis et Natura Unionis, and a treatise, Ad Calvanianorum Pelagianissinum. In this book he charged the Calvinists with the Pelagian heresy, a charge which they were accustomed to bring against the Lutherans. It was written partly against a book of John Winkler, Arcanum Regium de Conciliandis Religionibus Subditorum Diffidentibus, published in 1703 in support of the king's designs. In the same year he published Impeatas Cohortis Fanatica Ex Propris Peneri Recenbergi Peterseni Tomasi Arnoldi Schutzi Boemeri Aliorumque Fanaticorum Scriptis, Plusquam Apodictis Argumentis, Ostensa Hamburgi Koenig, 1703. This work was suppressed by order of the Senate of Hamburg. Frederick was enraged at Edzard's opposition to his plans, ordered his first book to be burnt, and forbade anyone to reply to it nor was our author more successful in his other work, Kurzer Entwurf der Einigkeit der evangelisch-lutherischen und reformierten in Grunde des Glaubens von dieser Vereinigung eigentlicher Natur und Beschaffenheit, wherein he treated of various systems of theology. This, too, was publicly burnt, but of the fate of its author I have no further particulars. The last of the great schoolmen, William of Ockham, called the Invincible Doctor, suffered imprisonment and exile on account of his works. He was born at Ockham in Surrey in 1280, and after studying at Oxford, went to the University of Paris. He lived in stirring times, and took a prominent part in the great controversies which agitated the fourteenth century. Pope John XXII ruled at Avignon, a shameless truckster in ecclesiastical merchandise, a violent oppressor of his subjects, yet obliged by force of circumstances to be a mere subject of the King of France. The Emperor Ludwig IV ruled in Germany in spite of the excommunication pronounced against him by the Pope. Many voices were raised in support of Louis, denouncing the assumptions of the occupant of the Papal See. Marsilius of Padua wrote his famous Defensor Passis against papal pretensions, and our author, William of Ockham, issued his still more famous Defense of Poverty, which startled the whole of Christendom by its vigorous onslaught on the vices of the papacy and the assumptions of Pope John. The latter ordered two bishops to examine the work, and the invincible doctor was cast into prison at Avignon. He would certainly have been slain had he not contrived to effect his escape and taken refuge at the court of the German emperor, to whom he addressed the words, 
tu me defendes gladio, ego te defendam calamo. There he lived and wrote, condemned by the Pope, disowned by his order, the Franciscans, threatened daily with sentences of heresy, deprivation, and imprisonment. But for them he cared not, and fearlessly pursued his course, becoming the acknowledged leader of the reforming tendencies of the age, and preparing the material for that blaze of light which astonished the world in the sixteenth century. His works have never been collected and are very scarce, being preserved with great care in some of the chief libraries of Europe. The scholastic philosophy of the fourteenth century, the disputes between the nominalists and the realists, in which he took the part of the former, the principle that entities are not to be multiplied except by necessity, or the hypostatic existence of abstractions, have ceased to create any very keen interest in the minds of readers. But how bitterly the war of words was waged in the fourteenth and fifteenth centuries! And it was not only a war of words, one who witnessed the contests wrote that, when the contending parties had exhausted their stock of verbal abuse, they often came to blows, and it was not uncommon in their quarrels about universals to see the combatants engaged not only with their fists, but with clubs and swords, so that many have been wounded and some killed. These controversies have passed away, upon which, says John of Salisbury, more time had been wasted than the Caesars had employed in making themselves masters of the world, and it is unnecessary here to revive them. Occam's principal works are Questiones et Decisiones in Quarto Libros Sententiarum cum Sentilogio Theologico, Lyon, 1495. Summa Logicae, Paris, 1843. Quod Libeta, Paris, 1487. Super Potestate Summi Pontifia, 1496. He died at Munich in 1343. The Introductio ad Theologiam of the famous Abelard, another schoolman, was fatal to him. Abelard's name is more generally known on account of the golden haze of romance which surrounded him and the fair Heloise, and their loving letters have been often read and mourned over by thousands who have never heard of his theological writings. At one time the famous Canon of Notre Dame at Paris had an enthusiastic following, Thousands flocked to his lectures from every country. His popularity was enormous. He combated the abuses of the age and the degeneracy of some of the clergy, and astonished and enraged many by the boldness of his speech and the novelty of his opinions. His views with regard to the doctrine of the Trinity expressed in his Introductio were made the subject of a charge against him, and certainly they cannot be easily distinguished from Sibelianism. The qualities or attributes of the Godhead, power, wisdom, goodness, were stated to be the three persons. The Son of God was not incarnate to deliver us, but only to instruct us by his discourses and example. Jesus Christ, God and man, is not one of the persons in the Trinity, and a man is not properly called God. He did not descend into hell. Such were some of the errors with which Abelard was reproached. 
whether they were actually contained in his writings, it is not so evident. We have only fragments of Abelard's writings to judge from, which have been collected by Monsieur Cousin, Ouvrage inédit d'Abelard, and therefore cannot speak with certain knowledge of his opinions. At least they were judged to be blasphemous and heretical by the Council of Soissons, when he was condemned to commit his books to the flames and to retire to the convent of Saint-Denis. Some years later, when he had recovered from the horrible mutilation to which he had been subjected by the uncle of Heloise, and his mind had acquired its usual strength, we find him at Paris, again attracting crowds by his brilliant lectures and pouring forth books, and, alas, another fatal one, Sic et Non. The best edition of Abelard's letters is P. Abelardi et Eloisae, conjugis ejus epistolae, ab erroribus purgatae et cumcod. There is also an edition published in Paris in 1616, quarto, Petri Abelarde Eloisae conjugis ejus, opera cum prefatione apologetica, ant bursi conjugis ant poesi, et censura doctorum parisiensium, ex editione Andreae Quercetani, which asked 158 questions on all kinds of subjects. The famous champion of orthodoxy, St. Bernard, examined the book, and at the Council of Seine in 1140 obtained a verdict against its author. He said that poor Abelard was an infernal dragon, who persecuted the church, that Arias, Pelagius, and Nestorius were not more dangerous, as Abelard united all these monsters in his own person, and that he was a persecutor of the faith and the precursor of Antichrist. These words of the celebrated abbot of Clairvaux are more creditable to his zeal than to his charity. Abelard's disciple Arnold of Brescia attended him at the council and shared in the condemnations which St. Bernard so freely bestowed. Arnold's stormy and eventful life as a religious and political reformer was ended at Rome in 1155, where he was strangled and burnt by order of the Emperor Frederick, his ashes being cast into the Tiber, lest they should be venerated as relics by his followers. St. Bernard described him as a man having the head of a dove and the tail of a scorpion. Abelard was condemned to perpetual silence and found at last a refuge in the monastery of Cluny. Side by side in the graveyard of the Paraclete convent, the bodies of Abelard and Heloise lie, whose earthly lives, though lighted by love and cheered by religion, were clouded with overmuch sorrow and await the time when all theological questions will be solved, and doubts and difficulties raised by earthly mists and human frailties will be swept away, and we shall know even as also we are known. End of chapter 1